0: Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Pastor Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. We've just begun another year and every year is an opportunity to learn, to be able to take another step in our journey with God and our journey in helping others as they walk towards God. Uh, as we begin this year, uh, I want to encourage you to maybe see some of the learning opportunities that are ahead of you. And uh, from my standpoint, a great learning Opportunity are the roundtables that I do that offer an interactive mode where you can begin to engage and to learn. Uh, I have new roundtable material that will begin in January at the Plano roundtable and then followed up by a Seattle roundtable and then a Orlando, Florida roundtable. And I want to encourage you that if you're in any of those areas or you know anyone in those areas, that you would go to uh, my webpage, GeraldBrooksMinistries.com, and sign up and come and be a part of it. Now, at these roundtables, we're doing brand new material and... The first lesson I'm going to do is uh, leading where no one sees, dealing with those areas of leadership that uh, aren't transparent to everyone, but they're some of the most crucial areas that every leader has to lead in. In fact, when leaders fail, it's not because they fail publicly, it's usually because they fail privately, and we're going to talk about leading where no one sees. We're also going to talk about skills for sustaining a church. Uh, having been in pastoral ministry for 41 years, one of the things that I'm convinced about is that a lot of pastors struggle not because they can't grow a church, but the weight of sustaining a church, just the day to day load of, of just bearing up and sustaining a church. And, uh, we're going to go in detail about the different skills you need between growth skills, and sustaining skills, because there's a lot of very good people who can grow one, but they struggle to sustain one, and we're going to talk about some of those skills. Well, today I want to uh, walk you into a lesson that um, any of you that know me, you know how profoundly uh, I feel this, but I want to talk to you about leading with your prayers, leading with your prayers. In Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus begins to talk to his disciples in response to a question. They had asked Jesus this question. Lord, would you teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray? And from a Jewish standpoint, this was a very, uh, logistic question. Because every rabbi, the way he consolidated his base beliefs was he consolidated them into a prayer. And so if you followed Rabbi A over here, his prayer sort of reflected what those base beliefs were. Rabbi B over here, he followed uh, his prayer, followed the beliefs that he held. So when they said, teach us to pray like John, John had evidently formed a prayer that was the base sort of the consolidation of how John believed and what John felt. Well, being under a rabbi, Jesus, they wanted to know what is our prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, he teaches them to pray. And we know this prayer. It's a very famous prayer. It's the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so in there, he begins to talk to them about the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and, uh, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, deliver us from evil and lead us not into temptation. And he goes through these series of thoughts about prayer. Now, that is well known. It's Jesus answering a very specific question, but like Jesus always did, People ask one question, but he ended up answering another question. Because what they were asking is, we want our own prayer. We want that prayer that reflects what you're teaching us to believe the way all the other rabbis have given a prayer. We want our own prayer. But Jesus goes on, and what he does is he gives them an example of prayer. And it's this example of prayer that stands out to me. But let me just, before we get into the example, say this, you can't lead if you don't pray. Now, you can try to lead and not pray, but you can't lead. You may be able to lead on men's terms, but you will not be able to lead on God's terms. So you cannot lead if you don't pray. You cannot lead long if you do not pray. So you're not going to be able to lead for a long time if you do not pray. Prayer gives you the longevity of your ministry. If you pray short, you'll lead short. You pray long, you'll lead long. You pray some, you'll lead some. You pray often and you'll lead often. You show me a leader's prayer life and I'll show you the leadership journey that they're in. So you can't lead if you don't pray, you can't lead uh long if you don't pray, and you can't lead well if you don't pray. If you're not praying, you may lead, but you're not going to lead well. All that being said, uh I want to walk you through the story that Jesus gave. And so in Luke chapter 11, we see in verse 5, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that story and I want to illustrate that Jesus was showing them as leaders how they were to pray as leaders. Now again, they were disciples of a rabbi. That meant that they had been chosen to be future leaders to represent the base beliefs. And Jesus not only wanted them to know what they believed by the Lord's Prayer, but he wanted them to know how to lead by how they prayed, not just what they prayed, but how they prayed. I need you to get the distinction, not just what they prayed, but how they prayed. And so this story begins with these words, which of you having a friend? First principle, when Jesus taught his disciples about prayer, the first thing he did was he challenged from the outset, that prayer somehow becomes a selfish, self-centered quest. Because when Jesus illustrated the prayer, he didn't illustrate it as far as them praying for themselves. He illustrated it as them helping someone else. Which of you having a friend? And so what he's immediately doing is he's challenging the mindset that somehow prayer can be self-centered, that prayer can just be about us, our problems, our circumstances. Yes, he taught our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and lead us not into Now, he taught them the base beliefs, but he taught them a broader application, and that is which of you having a friend. And what he was saying at the beginning is prayer isn't designed just to be for you. Prayer is how you help people around you. Which of you having a friend? Now, it's not only the, the challenge of the self-centeredness, and, and we know how that happens. Uh, you know, this is my prayer request. This is my prayer need. This is my, uh, prayer circumstance. We know how easily that happens. Why? Because we all possess problems. We all have issues. And we want our problems dealt with, so we pray about our problems. But he was saying to leaders, if you're gonna lead, You're going to pray bigger than you, and you're going to pray for more than you. You are going to pray for others. But the second part of that is, is the very word that he used. He says, which of you having a friend? Friend is a word that defines someone that you like, someone that you care about. So which of you having a friend? We're not talking about Facebook friends. We're talking about real friends. We're talking about friends that you give your time to, you give your attention to, you give your energy to, and that's what he's talking about. Number two, prayer requires your heart. It has to be more than your word. See, Many times we pray words without our heart, but he was saying, which of you have a friend? He was talking about someone you care for. He was talking about someone you're committed to. He was talking about the intangible qualities of your heart. And what he was saying is prayer is not to be self-centered, but prayer also must be more than words. See, we're good in Christian circles at saying words, but God wants us to do more than words. It's what is said in the book of James when it says the heartfelt, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice it said heartfelt. It's got to come from the heart. It's got to be inside out, not outside in. It's got to start. It can't just be words. It's got to be your heart. And so in here, prayer requires your heart. It requires the fact that you care. Prayer is a heart issue first. If you're not engaged with your heart, then you're really not praying. Saying words without the the engagement of your heart isn't enough. Jesus was saying, hey, I want to teach you how to pray, and I want to teach you that when you pray, you pray because you care. It's in your heart. You are moved. You are touched in the way that Jesus was moved with compassion. He cared. He's saying when we pray, we pray because we care. It's not artificial. It's not superficial. It's genuine. It's real. It's heartfelt. And then he says in here, which of you having a friend who comes and when he comes, you have said in your mind that there's certain things that you need to provide for him, but you don't have them. And it says, which of you having a friend? And then what does it say? And you go. Go. The third thing that he said about prayer is this. Prayer prompts action. Prayer prompts action. Prayer is not passive. It is active. See, if all you do is pray on your knees and you don't get on your feet, then you haven't prayed. So let me illustrate it this way. Sometimes I'll be standing at the back door of our facility People come by and I'll be shaking their hands and you shake hands and you begin to sense what people are feeling and facing. And and maybe you grab a hold of a hand and you can see, sense that they're in a little bit of turmoil and you just hold on to their hand and say, hey, what's going on? What can I pray for you about? And they say, hey, uh, I'm out of work right now. I just got laid off. And then you look at them, and what do you say? You say, I'm going to pray. But. There's something that goes with that prayer, and that is you not only pray, but you start thinking, well, you know what? What kind of work are you looking for? And they begin to mention it, and then you remember that you know this other person who happens to be in that field, who has influence in that field. Well, see, your prayer doesn't just to be need to be words that come from your heart. It needs to be the actions that are lived out in your life. And so what you do is you say, hey, I'm going to pray for you to get a job, but I've got a friend over here and I'm going to call him. See, many times Christians use prayer as an excuse to be lazy. I'm just going to let that sit out there a minute. Many times Christians use prayer as an excuse to be lazy. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, yeah, I'm going to pray. Oh, yeah, I'm going to pray. But most prayer leads you to action. In the example that Jesus gave, this man is going to act on behalf of his friend. His friend has a need, so he's going to act and he's going to go. So here's what I want to say to you as a leader. If you're just praying and you're not acting, then something about your prayers probably isn't right. Sometimes it's a call. Sometimes it is an encouragement. But see, we can pray that lost people get saved. But if we don't go out of our way to tell lost people about the gospel, then our prayers are going to be ineffective. We don't get to pray without acting. And so whatever is within our domain to do, that is what we do. And so Jesus starts off and he says, hey, prayer can't be self-centered. You've got to break the selfish tendency. Prayer's got to be heartfelt. It's got to be something that you truly care about. And prayer has to be involved in action that it's just not going to be passive. You're going to get up and do what you can do. So you may pray, but you're also going to do what you can at a given point. And then he says, which of you having a friend and you go at midnight. Now, I don't know about you, but midnight is seldom most people's finest hours. Most people aren't good at midnight. Why? Because it's midnight. That's when they're supposed to be asleep. That's when they're supposed to uh be more on the laid-back side of life. But what he's teaching is, is that prayer is not always going to be convenient. If the only time you pray is when it's convenient to pray, then you don't have a godly prayer life. You just have a prayer time. And what he was saying here. Is that which of you at midnight? Sometimes God will inconvenience you with prayer. Let me illustrate this. Uh, recently I took my family on this amazing trip. It was, it was sort of the dream trip that I always wanted them to, to go on. I was underfitting the bull, bill, the bill, sorry, uh, so that my family could all go, the plane flight there, the hotel there. It's, it's costing me a pretty penny for this thing to happen. And what happened is when we got there, God put this intense burden of prayer on me. Now, I don't know about you. You may be the individual that uh, you can uh, be totally happy and be praying. But when I have a burden of prayer on me, I got to pray. And I'm on the middle of a vacation that's supposed to be the dream vacation. But God has put a prayer burden on me. He is calling me into intense prayer to begin to intercede on behalf of. Now, sometimes when you're praying, you know exactly what you're praying for. But sometimes you don't know what you're praying for. We know that Jeremiah prayed about things and he knew he was praying, but he didn't know what he was praying totally about. We know that uh, Daniel was praying, and he didn't quite get that he was praying down one kingdom and up another kingdom and down that kingdom and up another kingdom. He didn't get that, that that was going on. And I'm in this prayer burden during this time, and it is totally inconvenient. What I want to say to you is that when he says prayer at midnight, he's saying sometimes I'm going to ask you to pray, and it's not going to be convenient for you. You know, I remember years ago, uh, there was a group not far from where our church is located that uh, had this great mission to get up at a certain time of day, and they were going to pray, and it became sort of the national trend, uh, get up at this time and pray. And people began to get up at that time, and they began to pray. And I'm fine with that because I think people need the discipline and the habit of praying. The problem is I wished that all godly prayer happened within a set time, but it doesn't. Sometimes God interrupts your day. Sometimes God messes with you. Sometimes God gets in your way and he says, I need you to pray now. It may not be convenient for your vacation. It may not be convenient uh, for uh, your life, but I'm asking you to pray. And what I know is when God asks you to pray, if you're going to be a person of prayer, you're going to pray. Well, that's what this man did at midnight. Prayer won't fit into your schedule. Life won't happen according to a nice knit scenario for you. So, four things. Jesus challenged us from the outset that prayer cannot be self-centered. Prayer requires your heart, not just your words. Three, prayer prompts actions, and prayer by nature at times will be inconvenient. Number five, prayer has penetrating power. It does more than what we ever realize. In fact, what it says is that this man is going to go to another friend who he thinks is a friend. He's going to knock on his door at midnight. And he's going to ask him for three loaves. Now, I could spend a whole lot of time walking you through the number three in the Bible. 30, 60, 100 fold. First the leaf, then the air, then the full corn, and the ear. The Bible works on a cadence of three. That's what it's based. Now abides these three things, faith, hope, and love. Now, three loaves. What is it saying? In our life, there are three dimensions to our life, spirit, soul, and body. And what he's saying is, is prayer is the ability to penetrate every dimension of someone's life. Prayer is how you reach into someone's spirit, in someone's soul, in someone's body. And many times you're praying and you think it's a physical need, but maybe it's not a physical need. Maybe it's a a soulish need, but you're going to sit there and you're going to deal with that reality. So prayer has penetrating power. And he's saying that when we pray, we bring to bear the resources. Remember how this all started, the Lord's Prayer? What does the Lord's Prayer start with? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we've moved from our daily bread to someone else's bread. God's no longer asking you to get bread for you. He's asking you to get bread for someone else. He's asking you to deliver the bread. See, that is what prayer is. Prayer is where we deliver the bread to others. So Jesus took a concept of a belief, give us this day our daily bread, but he turned it into a leadership mantra and go and get bread for someone else. Because as a leader, what you know is you lose the right to think about yourself. Leadership isn't self-focused, it's others-focused. And so prayer reaches in to those areas. Number six, uh, prayer is tapping heavenly resources for earthly circumstances. And what this is dealing with is that when you are a leader and you care for people, you realize that your resources are limited. And so you can minister to people based on your strength, your ability, your talent, or you can minister to them based on God's ability. And prayer is when you grab hold of heaven and you reach down to earth and you pull them together. That illustration of God with one hand and man with another, it's what Job talked about. A daysman, someone who would stand between, a mediator, an intercessor. And so what prayer is, is that it begins to engage and it begins to involve you beginning to take heavenly resources and letting them penetrate earthly circumstances. But this story also illustrates a little bit of the background of prayer. And the background of prayer goes like this. This guy has this friend He wants to provide for this friend. He doesn't have the resources to provide for the friend. So what does he do? He goes to another friend. And when he goes to the other friend, he knocks on his door. And the guy isn't responsive. He says, why do I want to get out of bed? Why do I want to disturb my family? Why do I want to do this? Now, what I want you to see is that Number seven, prayer isn't neutral. See, many times we see prayer as just being God and a person. But most prayer activities doesn't just involve God and a person. It involves God, a person, and another person who may be able to help with the circumstance. So let's go back to the illustration of someone who needs a job. I'm praying for them to get a job. But it's not as though God's going to hire them. They need a job down here. So when I'm praying, I'm not only praying that they get a job, but the person who has a job to offer is going to be willing to listen to God and give them the job. See, you have to understand that when we pray, We're praying God's will into existence when it comes to other people being willing to respond to his will. And so I'm praying that the boss of this company, when he interviews this person, is willing to hear from God that they need to hire this person. And maybe they don't know God, and maybe they don't know how to hear from God, but God's able to construct that whole venue because we pray. See, prayer isn't neutral. It involves others. Their will and their responses are involved. That's why it takes somebody who truly knows how to pray, because you're not only praying God's will, but you're praying God's will into the lives of people who may be the key for God's will to happen in the life of the person that you want them to get an answer to prayer. And so, prayer isn't neutral. It's just not this one-way street. It's connect a dot. You connect this dot to this dot to this dot to get this. That's why prayer is so important. And that brings you to the next principle. Prayer takes time. And when I say prayer takes time, in this story, it says that the man who doesn't know this friend, But the friend's gone and asked him to give him bread. It says he doesn't want to get up. And he says he won't get up because of the friend, but because of the persistence. See, here's how we think. One and done. I ask it and it's over. But what he's talking about is that prayer always takes time. You're going to have to be persistent and you're going to have to be patient. Most prayers are not immediately answered. And it will be like in the case of this man who was in his house asleep and he says, I will not. I'm not going to get up and do this. For this to change, this man has to change. And many times it is the persistence. And so, that leads you to point number nine. Prayer must have staying power. And, and staying power is just the ability to keep praying. It says, ask and you receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will open. What does that mean? You ask. Can I tell you right now, most of you when you go to a doorbell, you don't ring it one time. Most of you, when you go to an elevator, you don't push the button one time. Where do you think that instinct comes from? Well, in our lives, what we understand is this. Prayer must have staying power. It must have staying power. Your ability to get in and to keep going. And that brings us to 10. Heartfelt prayers with persistence are the key. Heartfelt prayer with persistence are the key. Jesus was teaching his disciples, give us this day our daily bread. And then he said, okay, let me teach you how to be a leader. It's no longer going to be just give us this day our daily bread but I'm going to teach you how to deliver bread for others. And that's going to be in prayer. You're going to do 10 things. You're going to make sure you're not selfish with your prayer. Your heart's going to be in the game when you pray. You're going to pray and you're going to act and do everything you can to fulfill the prayer. You're going to realize that prayer is going to be inconvenient. It's not going to fit in your schedule. You're going to pray knowing that It has penetrating power, spirit, soul, and body, three loaves. And you're going to pray and you're going to touch heavenly resources into earthly circumstances. And you're going to realize prayer isn't neutral. Sometimes other people's lives are involved in that prayer being answered. And you're going to pray and uh, you're going to take the time. And then you're going to have staying power with your prayers. And your prayers will be heartfelt, and they'll have persistence. Ten things. I want to encourage you that our world needs great leaders. And the only way you'll be a great leader is you'll be a prayerful leader. What I know is the majority of all leadership you'll do, most people won't see. Because people will not see you praying. But what they will is they'll fill the effects of your prayers. Thank you so much for joining me. And again, if I could say to you, thank you for letting other people know about the podcast, not only letting others know about the podcast, but maybe letting people know about the upcoming roundtable in Plano, Seattle, Orlando. Please go out of your way to let people know and tell them these are great learning opportunities. Hey, thank you so much. Have a great day.